1: Well, we're heading out east in this week's episode. And, uh, well, I reckon by the time you've heard today's podcast, there are going to be one or two extra things on your to-do list. To find out how to do them, the website you need is Queen Elizabeth Olympic park.co.uk which of course it gives away exactly where we're going today yes we're in the final stages of the much anticipated opening of the queen elizabeth park and whilst there's lots on offer there there's really only one way to see it so from atop anish kapoor's orbit sculpture it's friday the 21st of march 2014 i'm n quentin wolf and this is londonist out loud
0: Hey baby, let me take it down So we'll play some strange sights and the sound You ain't never seen the light before
1: Sometimes happens that I regret that we haven't got pictures to directly attach to the sound. I wonder if somebody will invent something that will help with that one day. We have the most amazing view in front of us and, uh, in fact, all around us. We are up the Arcelor Metal Tower on the Olympic Park with me, Dr. Philip Askew. And uh, you're responsible for not only uh, turning the park from what it is now into uh, what it's going to become, but also you've, you've been here, Philip, for the last eight years and you're in charge of uh, landscaping and so forth Um, hello first of all hello what's the what's the story here in terms of uh, what's about to happen on the Queen Elizabeth Park
0: so uh, on April 5th we'll be opening the remaining part of the park what we call the South Park and we have uh, done a lot of work since games to really make the park this fantastic new facility this new green open space for London Um, And in particular, uh, we have turned what was very large areas of paving necessary for games into a series of gardens, if you like. Um, We've been working with some extraordinary designers uh, and horticulturalists, garden designers, plants people to create a place which I think will be unique in London. In fact, unique in this country,
1: if not the world. And this episode is going out on the 21st of March Which means that the listener will be just about a fortnight away from the opening date We're of course recording it uh, a week or so earlier at the moment We have a delicious uh, early uh, spring sunshine piling in through the windows I have to say, looking down on the Olympic Park All I can see is uh, cranes and construction It, It seems difficult to believe that this is going to be turned around in time Well I think uh, we're on the wrong side of the orbit
0: Uh, and if we walk around this structure which of course affords the most fantastic panoramic views and look down in other parts we'll see uh, fantastic new events lawns where during games uh, we had back of house areas uh, and fast food outlets Uh, and then looking north up the Lee Valley in the River Lee we will see where we've created a series of pleasure gardens. Uh, We've got theatre spaces, we've got great play areas, we've got an amphitheatre, which will be great for hanging out in and having events in during the summer. We may well have places where we have traditional carousels. So a very active place. 24-hour park, actually. It's not going to be closed at night. People will be able to come in uh, and enjoy it. Uh, We also have the most fantastic uh, water feature, which will be great for play, great for kids drive their parents mad no doubt Um, but you know I fully expect that uh, on a day like we have today or indeed in the summer when it's a lot hotter uh, people will come uh, to this place to, to have a great family day out.
1: And that's the 5th of April, I think, the opening of that South Park uh, happens. It seems to me, though, your background, I know, is as a horticulturalist, and a lot of that stuff is really stretching that job description to, to, to the limits. <laughs> how much of the uh, work there have you been overseeing yourself, and how much has been a uh, sort of uh, stuff that you've been collaborating on, but somebody else has been really pulling the strings? How, how does that all uh, fit together for you?
0: Well, I mean, anything of this scale, Uh, is all about collaboration and working with other people and I've been incredibly privileged to work with some of the best designers some of the best horticulturalists soil scientists, ecologists uh, construction teams I can imagine Um, so my role, going back to that is really as client, I hold the budget and I hold the programme, so I'm responsible, if you like, for getting it built on time. My background as you say is in horticulture but also landscape architecture and urban design so um, I'm Uh, lucky or unlucky maybe in that I can look down a hole in the ground and have a fair idea about what's going on but also I understand the bigger picture master planning and urban design and how really this park uh, and everything that's happening here will really change this part of London uh, and bring new opportunities.
1: Well I I just know that we're going to find ourselves talking about how far this area has come and uh, very very much so under your eye and influence. What about you personally? How far does this bring you, this uh, project, from where you started out?
0: Well, it's been the most extraordinary experience, and I suppose for me the joy of working on a project like this is working, as I say, with a great bunch of people, all sorts of experts and designers, and... For me, the best thing is I'm learning every day. I continue to learn about things uh, and work with people in a very collaborative way. Um, my journey has been since uh, 2007, 2008, when this uh, whole area was largely inaccessible. In fact, where the orbit is, where we're standing now, there was a railway goods yard uh, below our feet, very polluted neck high in a particularly noxious weed called Japanese knotweed which is uh, renowned for being a real pest uh, so completely changed this place from from an area which uh, was perhaps off limits to many people perhaps unless they were doing things they shouldn't be doing you know we had uh, the largest fridge mountain in Europe here we had uh, uh, lots of dumping up north uh, where the velodrome is not where we are here but at the other end of the park we had the Tottenham Tip, uh, which, uh, when I looked down a hole which was thirty foot deep and saw a Victorian street at the bottom, you realised that everything above it
1: was was rubbish from over a century ago. So archaeologically, I, no, I can't <laughs> let us move on so fast from that one. You look, you looked down a hole and saw a Victorian street. Absolutely, it's quite
0: extraordinary. I mean, in the many ways, you know, of course. The East End of London and this part of London has been very significant to the sort of archaeo- the, the industry of, of the area so this this whole part of London uh, was was used by very early industries we had uh, i think we had the first dry cleaners in in the world not far from here, um, going back in time, we had uh, mills and we had salmon smokeries and such like we still do uh, in some areas so it 's got a very rich history with the River Lee running through the centre of it and of course the River is also arguably London's second river it still provides a lot of London's water upriver, river so it's fa- fa- fantastic history but like many areas which have been industrialized for a long time of course perhaps in the past people weren't so careful about what they did with some uh, some of the waste that they produced so of course when we started work on the park we had to spend two years cleaning it up you know, we cleaned over two million tons of soil in order to make the place safer in the future
1: um, we dealt with our Japanese knotweed as well. Well, each of these missions sounds like a, a complex and, and challenging operation in and of itself. I, I know because, I, by coincidence, I, I realise I worked with the Foreign Office on a video that was going out to other countries about how they cleaned the park up and uh, well, what you're talking there about the reclamation of the soil. Just that, what a, a, a feat, a cutting-edge process that was going on there. There was a huge emphasis, wasn't there, on making sure that the sustainable processes we use i think a lot of the transport was done by canal and so forth absolutely right from the start for
0: all sorts of reasons for the right reasons about uh, minimizing emissions minimizing taking waste off site we did a lot of work so for example the soil that we washed we we cleaned it we actually had things we called soil hospitals on the park which were these big bits of kit uh, which helped us clean out and remove some of the worst material Um, that meant that we could keep over 90% of it on site and use it uh, to form the landscape, to form the topography, if you like, Um, and and therefore we didn't need to take it away in lorries or on by rail and fill up holes in the ground somewhere which of course is the perhaps would have been the traditional route uh, a few years ago so in that respect very sustainable Um, yes you're quite right Uh, we took out and we bought in a lot of our materials by rail we had our own goods yard which was pre-existing but we used it specifically for this and also we built a uh, we dredged and we built a a wharf on the canal so that we could use that as well so we really tried to use alternative approaches to uh,
1: to getting materials in and out for example (laughs) you <laughs> so going back to that early to the early days of the park i could well imagine that you turn up here and you see what needs to be done and you start hacking through like an amazon explorer or something through all this knotweed but i i was wondering whether the particularly the habits of people you know people are used to using this place for certain things dumping fridges or whatever it might be it's got a reputation as this is where you go fly tipping i wonder whether those habits are maybe the the knotweed on the organic side of things do do they attempt to make a a resurgence do they are you always sort of fighting the back at the edges, has that all completely changed now?
0: Well, of course. I mean, one it's interesting, actually, because we identified early on, if we got rid of all of this noxious weed, which was really important to do, because it can damage foundations, it can push its way through paths. People have read about people who can't sell houses because they've got Japanese knotweed in their garden, for example. But we also recognise that in the future and in managing the park, of course, the River Lee is a great transporter of material. It's quite, it's quite interesting when we were building the park and cleaning up the river and waterways, etc., as an example, on a Monday morning you often got quite a lot of footballs appearing in the river and being washed up because of course people were playing football at various places up and down the river over the weekend and the ball would end up in the river and get swept down so that was quite an intriguing uh, intriguing sort of, slightly apocryphal but there was an element of truth in its story but of course it can also bring down you know, seeds and weeds of other sorts so Again, we have a management process here which means we just keep an eye on it and we know that by helping to clean the river by using some of the sustainable and biodiverse systems to clean the river and the waterways, we are doing other things. We're encouraging habitat, we're encouraging all sorts of mammals, um, birds, insects to come in. Uh, That all helps the process of making this... um,
1: Part of London and the waterways here usable for all. Uh, staying back uh, seven eight years before we come forward and talk about what's going on here now. As you started your work on the Olympic site, what sort of resources did you have to hand? And I don't know whether we can talk about budgets or not. That might all be top secret. But what sort of uh, person power or what kind of equipment, uh, or, or was it a case that you said what you needed and, and went from there?
0: Well, we 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 had to do a lot of work, and I suppose one of the things which we did was have a lot of, for want of a better term, process in. So, um, for example, um, we wanted, as part of the landscape, to uh, plant a lot of the riverbanks. We wanted to have wetlands very good for biodiversity, um, but also great to look at, uh, and also helping to clean the waterways up. So we wanted to create biodiversity habitat wetlands along as much of the waterways as possible. In order to do that, we actually set up an experiment in the park well in advance. So we actually tried different ways of planting different sorts of plants on the water edge in the northern part of the park before we did any work there at all we did that for about 18 months and that was an invaluable piece of research and study which actually said there were better ways to do things what that meant was when we actually came to put, to do the wetland planting uh, which is quite extraordinary is that it was very successful so we I like to think that we took some quite significant risks in terms of some of the approaches we did. We believe we built a pretty unique globally unique park um, in terms of its aspirations but we we took those risks knowingly by doing some experiments, if you like, some science in the park beforehand and and that was that was really part of the whole process. It was not about rushing in uh, and starting to you know do things willy-nilly if you like it was it was about taking a measured step using real expertise you know in, in the case of the parklands we consulted with the national trust forestry commission environment agency natural england all the people who have the real expertise in various aspects in order to test our ideas our designs and to make them actually function and work in the best possible way
1: well that's interesting okay so it would be because when you said that you wanted biodiversity here on x marks the spot that's where we want biodiversity that, that almost sounded like it um, uh, that was a decision that had been passed down or something but were you involved in deciding that that would be the best approach for that particular area how far back was your involvement
0: a number of different approaches so before we before we did any work on the park we actually studied for example we did a study of all of the biodiversity all the different creatures the different habitats that existed here and indeed what we did is we then uh, actually collected all of the toads the newts the uh, the things which were sort of living here, we collected them and actually took them off and re-ho- rehoused them because otherwise you know they 'd go underneath bulldozers and all sorts of heavy kits so we we were very careful about recording what we had. Uh, And about protecting it uh, and taking it away. We also incidentally collected seeds from the plants that were local to here, so that we could bring them back later on. So we thought about that very carefully, and then of course we had a design team uh, which worked to a brief, which was uh, written written by me and others, experts in particular. And and they produced a design, and that design was then tested using using a range of expertise to make sure that it it did a number of things. It had to do all sorts of things. So. Uh, it had to work for games it had to work uh for now for transformation and of course you know this is uh, the largest new urban park in this country for over a century so we wanted something which was going to be sustainable which reflected current concerns say about climate change or heavy rainfall and flooding uh, a growing urban population um but also a place which uh, in 100 years' time would still be here and would be a lot better than it is now because the great thing about parkland and landscape is, of course, it is that from day one it starts to get better, very different to a building.
1: <laughs> yes, and we were talking to an expert horticulturalist over at Chiswick House and Gardens just a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about the, the way that somebody involved in gardens and landscape has to think in the dimension of time as well. Mm.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's what... Uh, it, that that's what makes landscape parklands, green spaces in cities so important. We know that green space is good for people. Uh, it's good for people's psyche. it's a great place to cycle and run and jog and relax in and uh, as as populations grow as London as we know is growing fast, um, these sorts of green
1: spaces will become really important. but also can, we, can I just jump on that point actually because the um, I know the one of the arguments in uh, sort of social politics over the last 20 years or so has been around the uh the spaces that once were free and public with town square for example have become private spaces such as you know the westfield center might be i suppose an example close to hand um what what is the ownership and governance of the park going to be as we go forward
0: well in simple terms the park lands uh, and indeed the areas around which are being developed are owned by the london legacy development corporation which is a mayoral development corporation uh, with its brief, really, to to take on legacy, which, of course, was the promise of games. That was what it was all about. It's about how can we really use games as a lever to align the quality of people's lives, their aspirations, their educational opportunities, their, their lives, if you like, with the rest of London. Because the east of London... Uh, and and I'm sure this is the case in many other cities, has always been the sort of second cousin to the West, if you like. The West has been where the wealth is, the West has been where the development's been. It's it's a fact that people have lived longer in West London than in East London. So the intention here is really to... Bring East London up so that so, so there's no disparity, if you like, um, and and the, and the games is that big, massive lever, which means that we have managed to do things here which otherwise wouldn't have been possible, or would have taken a huge amount of time. And on the back of that, now of course we can develop this area, we can provide education, we can provide homes, we can provide jobs, um, uh, and the park. Uh, and the opportunities left by games are really the, the things which lever in that opportunity, if you like. In terms of the park and, and how it's owned, it's owned by the LLDC, the London Legacy Development Corporation, managed by us. It's free, it's open... Uh, all hours well certainly the south park is uh, the north park is a much greener more biodiverse quieter area so we will to an extent restrict access at night there we we think that's important and a useful thing to do but the park is is is, is, is like all other london parks it's open to all
1: where are the uh, the differences? Because I, I, I know there may be some, and of course very few parks have quite as much going on here as uh, you already do and, and plan to have going on. But are there other uh, differences that we might notice?
0: Well, I think, I think the difference here is that we have, unlike many other parks in London, which are extraordinary, uh, it has th- some of the best parks in the world. V-
1: Victoria Park, just a stone's throw.
0: Victoria Park, not from here. And, of course, the Royal Parks, the Central London Parks, etc. The difference about with this park is, firstly, of course, it, it is a product of, of the Olympic Games. So it has some history there. And, of course, it has these fantastic venues. It has the orbit we're in, the stadium, the aquatic centre, Copper Box, uh, the velodrome, etc. So it's a very active park. Uh, and then we have a landscape which weaves it and really brings it all together, which makes it a place... Um, which is going to be uh, great for people, it connects parts of London, which were previously difficult to get across, so it connects east west uh, north south uh, ultimately you 'll be able to walk up the Reliee valley uh, up into the really the countryside if you like, and ultimately you 'll be able to walk south down towards the river Thames so fantastic connectivity, which of course makes a big difference to how cities and places work. It has uh, fantastic transport connections now Probably the best in London really With Stratford getting better in a few years When uh, uh, when Crossrail comes here um, it, But it also as a, as a park, as a landscape It, it, it thinks about the future Uh, It thinks very much about biodiversity. So, for example, 50% of the parkland, or almost 50% of it, is designed as habitat. Doesn't mean it's exclusive to insects and bees and whatever else might live here, but it has a very different philosophy behind it, which is that in urban areas where there's not a lot of access to green space, it's really important to have ecologically diverse space. So, for example, we have four frog ponds in the park. fantastic things for frogs not surprisingly uh, invertebrates insects etc but also great for education for kids to come here from local schools to learn about the sorts of things that live in them you know we have two otter halts in the park so specifically designed for otters um we know there are otters not so far up the lee valley near walthamstow and we hope that uh, as the water conditions improve as the opportunities for feeding improve otters will find their homes down here so those are just two examples of over 700 different wildlife installations around the park for all sorts of all sorts of birds and creatures
1: could i jump on that with a stupid question <laughs> no, uh, no that'll please you yeah. uh, <laughs> Well, I, I know there are quite a few uh, nature reserves tucked in around the city and, and some of them in quite surprising mm. places and uh, not so very far off the beaten track either. Well, what, what are the differences between a small nature reserve and the, the areas of the park that you've just been uh, talking about there? What are the different principles at play?
0: Well, I think the main difference really for me is that a nature reserve is what it says on the tin. It's a reserve. It's protected specifically for nature access is often allowed uh, but it's um, often restricted in some form or another what we're doing here is having a park which encourages biodiversity in nature so we want a place that people can really enjoy can play in can picnic in can come and see events in but also one which works for biodiversity in nature as well so that people Uh, Without the scales being tilted too far that way. Without the scales being tilted too far. But it's really, uh, we think it's really important that these things exist in a a dense urban area and people can come in uh, and and enjoy them because we know that, uh, for example, that that there are genuine psychological benefits to green space uh, and for stressed city workers and livers uh, uh, these sorts of places are really important for for people to come into and, and to breathe if you like and to relax
1: We'll come back to talk uh, in much more detail about the landscape and the, the park and what's down below us. But you, you're right to remind us that we are up the tower. And it's difficult not to spot the tower from anywhere in East London. <laughs> I've got to say, while we were talking, I was delighted to notice over your shoulder, because there's work still going on here and there's a few bits of work equipment behind you, there's a Henry the Hoover, <laughs> the, pretty much the last thing I expected to see up the <laughs> up the orbit. Um, what do you think of this tower yourself?
0: it was interesting i mean i watched it being built um in fact our when, when we were building the this part the part before games our site compound was just below it or not far from it and every day i'd come here and see a ne- another bit of red appear and be craned into place i i, I personally quite like it but i recognize um uh, that it, in my mind it's a it's a marmite moment some people like it and some people really dislike it uh, which is fine you know of course i think with these sorts of things and it, and it is a an art piece if you like or albeit an observation platform as well I think with these sorts of things you need to give them time I mean I remember when the Angel of the North was proposed and built many years ago, there was a lot of derision if you like, a lot of people said what is this about and why on earth are we spending all this money and all sorts of things like that now it's seen as a sort of the entrance to that that part of the north of england it's seen as a an emblem as a symbol if you like so who knows maybe this will do the same thing i think one
1: needs to give it time and see Mm. Mm. we should uh, describe the uh, tower itself i've been keeping an eye on the thing over the last few years wasn't quite sure what i'd expect to find in the drum-like room at the top of it How, how far up are we by the way do you know
0: uh i think we are uh crumbs now I used to have these sorts of facts etched into my brain. Um, I think we're about uh, 120 metres up.
1: I could be wrong we're looking at some of the publicity here 114 metres in the air. Uh, in fact um, I was interested in the uh, the number of steps, does it say it on here? Oh, no it's not on this one, I think it's something like 250 odd steps that uh, bring us up to, in fact I've got it on that bit of back, we'll look at that later uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's about 250 steps, we were just trying to find some comparisons, if you uh, wanted to walk up to uh, this observation deck it's about half of what you'd uh, do if you were putting in the, uh, the, the effort at St Paul's Cathedral, but of course you can come up by elevators here and they shut us up at high speed and uh, we've arrived in a deliberately airy room I think the idea uh, is is to create a sense of instability which is quite an unusual thing to go for at the top of a (laughs) tower Um, could you talk about these mirrored panels because these seem particularly unusual to me
0: well the mirrors are really about uh, when, when, when you come to this you come out the lift and you come into this space you you're confronted by this fantastic view over london you can see canary wharf you can see the shard uh, you can see some of the other peculiarly shaped buildings which are appearing in the center of london so you get this stupendous panoramic view but in addition to that you get these very careful and cleverly designed mirrors which reflect the view in various ways so for example where we're standing and looking out towards canary wharf um uh on on both sides of us are these mirrors which actually show the same view but upside down Um, and then as you move around the mirrors they are are curved and worked in a particular way to, 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 to give this very peculiar perspective of London um, and, and this part of London, and so, for example, as we're walking along here, uh, we, we, we were seeing the city upside down, and now we're looking at ourselves in what looks a little bit like a funfair mirror, um, slightly distorted, quite intriguing and quite interesting.
1: I, I feel like I'm seeing myself on a um, on a 3D cinema screen.
0: Yes, it's a bit like one of those sort of uh, giant cinema screens, isn't it? And uh, quite quite interesting. And then as we carry on walking around and and look back again, we'll get we'll get more views. Um, of, of, of the city and of places and the idea is that we've got, we, we've got a view of Henry again we've now got a view of Henry now uh, yes, can't quite work out whether Henry's upside down or what but um, you get these interesting sort of takes on, on London and its skyline which I think, of course the view is fantastic there's no doubt about that but in a way it sort of adds a different flavour and level to it
1: Shall we uh, peer out at a particularly interesting bit where would be the best, best vantage point to uh, get a glimpse of your work?
0: So at the moment we're looking down towards Pudding Mill Lane, uh, DLR station. Oh,
1: before before you go on, Pudding Mill Lane. What, can you do you happen to know the provenance of the name? I don't, I'm afraid. No, no. Oh, no it's I've a wonderful name. Day. It's a fantastic name. Um, could, a pudding factory No, Surely could, there can't be such a thing.
0: Well, it could well have been. I, I just don't know. I mean, for example. Um, uh, you know, this this part of London is, as I said earlier, very rich in history. So over to our, our right, there's a sort of brick-built warehousey-looking building that used to be the Bryant and May Match Factory. Is that the uh, one with the two sort of watchtowers coming in? Yes. Yes. So so uh, again, a very historic. You know, people, mm. many people will, will, will know Bryant and May matches or I think they may still exist I don't know but um, uh, but that, that's where they used to make them and there are all sorts of uh, stories about rather unfortunate stories actually about but about people who used to make the matches and dip them in the phosphorus to make them burn and of course that didn't do very good things to them in those days, so that's a sort of example of, of the past here. But very important building.
1: Well, to tie that into another episode uh, that will either just have aired or just be about to air, we're going to be examining the skulls of uh, victims of phosphorus poisoning. Oh, fantastic!
0: Oh, well, there you go. Yes, there's a bizarre tie. in Below us so is one of the canals which uh, runs, uh, you know, one of the, one of part of the canal network in this in this part of London, um, uh, and then. Um, we 've got the the Greenway, which uh, is the uh, walkway which runs um, through this part of London. You can see people walking on it now. Um, we built this uh, greeny yellow building below us called the view tube which is a great place to come and get a coffee but also there's art exhibitions and such like there and then right below us is a, a new lawn which we've just installed which uh, is, is going to be an events lawn uh, i believe it's capable of holding about twenty thousand when people it, when it's completely full um, and uh, the idea is that uh, uh, we can have you know some quite serious events below the orbit there which would be a great place to to have them In the distance, in fact, just on the other side of the railway, which is the railway which runs from Liverpool Street out to uh, Essex and Suffolk, you can see some of the allotments we've just built with their sheds on, which are replacements for the allotments which we had to move
1: pre-games. That's... Very interesting that they should be uh, sort of reinstated. How have they been allocated?
0: Well, there was a, there is, there was, and there is a, an allotment society and called Manor Gardens Allotment Society, and we've we've worked with them over the years to replace the allotments that that, you know, that, that, that they have. So we've we have some of them in the South Park down here.
1: Because there was uh, of course a lot of displacement that w- was attendant on the the game's landing here and although ostensibly it was uh, pretty much derelict land, there were a number of small businesses yes, and yes, workshops yes, and yes. Uh, scraps of playground and, hmm. and bits and pieces like that uh, so it does sound as though the responsibility to those individuals you know it's not as though they've just been swamped or shoved out entirely they've they've been no, accommodated
0: i I think i mean i. I'm not au fait with the full history, but largely they have been accommodated, I believe. Um, I mean, for example, where the stadium uh, is now, uh, there was a, a salmon smokery called Foreman's, uh, and Foreman's uh, still exists, it's just been moved a few hundred metres in one direction, and uh, uh, it's still, I, I think it still supplies Fortnum Mason's with smoked salmon.
1: Yes, just on the other side of the canal, I believe, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Well, let's, uh, let's mooch around a little bit, we're passing by another of the mirrors... That's a very disconcerting effect. Never has reality seemed so artificial. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yes, I'm looking in mirrors, yes, not a good idea sometimes, but anyway.
1: <laughs> I must say it's very, very peaceful up here. I, I don't know, we've got a really uh, gorgeous day to be looking out at, at London. It's but beautiful day, th- yes. there's also something about the sense of uh, the bowl of the city. We can see the various... Hills around it, and it feels um, suddenly a much smaller place in a very, a very pleasant way. Actually,
0: I think what's so great about getting up to places like this, and I guess you can do it in other towers in London and, and other high places, but you, you're quite right. Of course, London, when you're on the ground, feels sort of flat, if you like. But up here, you can, you can really see the the, the landscape, the topography, and how. In a sense, London sort of sits
1: within it, as you say. It starts to feel like a town in some bizarre <laughs> way, doesn't <laughs> Almost, it? yes. <laughs> as opposed to just an endless... Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to head outside, and uh, well, it's probably uh, an opportune moment to get a word from our sponsor.
0: Nest Out Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk and click through.
1: Well, we've tried a couple of exits out onto the balcony running around the outside of that cylindrical room. And the one we've just used brings us straight out to overlook the main stadium. It's denuded of a, a lot of the uh, trappings and trimmings. Gone are the light towers. And uh, in fact, I think you were saying it looks a lot like it did uh, just before the games.
0: <laughs> well, in reality, no, of course. But uh, but basically, the stadium is now turned back into a uh, into a construction site. Is being transformed into you know what will be a football stadium and an athletic stadium and a and a, and a great place for rugby and concerts as well so it's, it's becoming a, the multifunctional sort of uh, venue that it, that it needs to be
1: and uh, t- coming on from the comment i made just before the break about the way it foreshortens london we can see distantly the velodrome and that makes me realize just how blooming big this park is
0: it is. I'm, uh, I, I always remember that uh, there were drawings that showed the park, and they had a scale on, them. and the scale basically was Oxford Street because if you walk from the south of the park to the north, it's about the length of Oxford Street from one end to the other. Um, so quite quite long. In fact, the whole. Parklands, or the whole site, if you like, including the venues, is about two and a half square kilometres in size. You've got to be a fit man for this job. I've done a lot of. I, I you know, the thing is, uh, not recent, not not so long ago, I put a little app on my phone which works out how many steps I'd taken. I wish I'd done that in 2007. I didn't have the phone, so I couldn't have the app. But uh, if I had, I would have loved to have seen you know, whether I'd got to the moon and back or something. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, if I overheard you correctly, and one should never overhear people, I'm looking up now and I can see oh, I don't know, it must be 50 feet further up the uh, top of the tower. Are you planning to go up there? Well, not all the way up to the top.
0: Not right to the red ring you can see above there. That would uh, that would test my courage to, the, to an extreme. But no, you can go a little bit further. It's not publicly accessible, but there are climb and walkways uh, because you get fantastic views. And I wanted to uh, get some shots looking down upon the park.
1: Well, tell me about what we can see here. And I'll I'll just give a little description that we've uh, either a river or a canal. I'm, I'm going to say a canal. Well, in fact, there are two that I can see, and they seem to join and and lead off uh, my uh, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. We've got the media centre there, I know what that is, the velodrome on the far side there, the stadium, of course, to my 10 and 11 o'clock. And what else is your eye seeing that mine isn't? okay so yes you're absolutely absolutely correct
0: so uh, we've got the stadium then we've got one of the a, a canal part of the part of the canal system around here and incidentally i should say the, the canal system which, which which prior to games was clogged and impassable certainly by boat um, and largely disappeared is now being cleaned up and in the future you'll be able to get on a boat if you so wish, potentially if if boats do this, and go all the way, for example, up to Regent's Park on the canal. So they're all connected. And on, on the right-hand side is the River Lee and you can see the River Lee snaking through the centre of the park on up uh, through Hackney Marshes and ultimately up the Lee Valley uh, into the distance. What we're seeing really in front of us with the River Lee at its centre is the, is the main parkland. In the north you can see the A12 with a bus going over it at the moment and a coach beyond that is an area called eaton manor which during games was used largely for athletes to warm up but is now being transformed into a, a fantastic new hockey and tennis center for london
1: is that um, the now i don't think you're talking about that but is that that uh, expanse of uh, what looks like grass there really no, enormous area what, what's no, that? that
0: that's the uh, f- what, what, what that was during games the international broadcast center but it's now being turned into a sort of tech startup hub uh, also um I think uh, British Telecom have their broadcast
1: centre there. Yes, no, I, I mean the. Uh, that's, that's very interesting about all the startups, sure, actually. Yes. But be, beyond that, we see a right line of trees, and then we've got green there. Well, that's that's East Marsh,
0: as, as it's called. In fact, that uh, part of the largest, I believe, could be wrong. So someone will probably tell me if I'm wrong. Part of the largest area of football fields, uh, I think, in Europe, in one place, and lots of football happens there. Um, but no over slightly to to the to the right and it's difficult to see you can see a little orange bridge in the distance which crosses Rockholt Road and Eton Manor is, is just over there this side of Eton Manor and this side of the A12 is what we call the North Park um, or what we've I've tended to call the North Park because it's north of uh, the centre of the park that's the more green and biodiverse area uh, we've got a lot of uh, habitat there you can see the River Lee running through it and we've got a large area in the centre of Wetland planting which we call a wetland bowl. Um, it's quite beautiful, it's a lovely place to go to, it's very calm and peaceful. Um, it's also a great place for birds to nest and for other forms of habitat wasn't there before, uh, games. Um, uh, but also it uh, performs an important function in that when we have very heavy rainfall that whole area is designed to flood. The reeds disappear underwater and in doing that it actually protects over 5,000 properties upriver from flooding Uh, and I think this is a, a very good example of how you can use landscape in particular to mitigate the effects of heavy rainfall something of course which recently has been very much in the headlines.
1: I wonder what lessons you've learnt from opening up various parts of the park to the public about the impact that having people arrive here in the in this new way has on the park.
0: Well I think it's in some respects it's early days of course we've had some very big events in the park big concerts um, uh, various other sorts of things I think that what I've learnt which is encouraging is that the park is pretty robust for example um, I was lucky enough to be able to come in here during games when uh, at its height we had 250,000 people in the park and come in here a week after games or so, and take some photographs. And the most extraordinary thing is, you would never have known anything ever happened. Um, and I think that's testament to the way the park has been built and designed, and to the great team of people who helped put it all together.
1: That must be very gratifying. That's uh, that's one uh, clear way of endorsing your choices, right?
0: Absolutely, I think I think it is, and and, and uh, it, it's a great endorsement of, of, of the design and and of the way that it was built and and the, and the. the a bit of workmanship that went into it, if you like. Great team of people, as I say... Um, I think it'll be very interesting in the south of the park where we are here in in, in the orbit, we're looking down upon um, uh, you, you can see an area where there are uh, uh, some pine trees um, some interesting looking sticky things coming out of the ground, some red paving um, if you look down yes, what,
1: what's all that about? That looks like uh, where you would put traitor's heads if it was <laughs> uh, <laughs> further towards London Bridge
0: I, I hope not, um, well this, this is the, a very new part of the park, not as yet open and this is the bit that opens on the 5th of april it's uh been totally changed from where we were at games during games this whole area below us was paved necessarily so because of the large numbers of people that i mentioned coming in and out the park Um, but we really felt that uh you know on a bleak february morning it wouldn't be a place that anybody would want to linger so we commissioned a design uh competition Uh, and had many entries but we chose an entry from an american practice actually of landscape architects called uh, james corner field operations um in fact james corner himself actually trained in this country so he's 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 an englishman who went over to the states and set up a practice and and and, and works there Um, The interesting thing about uh, his team and his design is that it's really created a series of spaces which can be used for all sorts of different purposes during the day and the night. So we have uh, great play areas, we have an amphitheatre space, we have an outdoor theatre, we have an amazing water feature which, uh, if you look down below us, you can see this sort of what looks like a squiggle in the ground which is... uh, uh, hundreds of jets of water which we can play with and create this amazing play feature for London Um, so so we really have this incredibly dynamic sort of uh, place for people to come and play to eat, to picnic, um, to have events in, to get wet, do all sorts of stuff which we think is going to really lift the nature of this place
1: I've I've got probably the most boring question that I could uh, could drum up here, Uh, but I'm asking because I'm interested. Uh, What what, in terms of the challenges that you faced uh, throughout this project, and maybe they're the challenges uh, offered by the the land itself, or perhaps uh, externally. I'm not sure. What's what's been the big one?
0: Well, I think hmm, that's a very good question. Is it really? It is a very good question. Well, I I think I think well. For example, the challenge here was to do. A lot with a very challenging part of a part of London, a, as we've mentioned before, an area which was polluted, which had all sorts of issues, um, and to to get it done on time and on budget, if you like, um, for games and indeed now for transformation. So, for example, uh, the two years following games, we built almost as much landscape as we did before games but in half the amount of time so we've had to work very very hard in a very focused way to get that to happen Um, the challenge is and I think this is the same with all projects like this and many smaller ones is getting people to work successfully together in many ways if you get people to work successfully together and you have the right sort of team members if you like then then the technical challenges become less of an issue you can find your way around them
1: well, it's interesting you say that because the people that I've run into who are connected with the, the legacy organisation so far on the way to the interview, uh, some, some office bugs, some people on site, have all spoken in really warm terms about you. And clearly uh, part of your job must be uh, watching the clock and uh, looking at the clipboard and so forth. So that, that must be quite a challenge personally in terms of your management style to keep everybody uh, happy and smiling, and, but uh, bringing things in on time.
0: Well, my view is that, um, yes, of course, I'm responsible for getting it built and making it happen uh, on time and on budget but um, the best way my again my view to do that is to have a great team which works together if you've got a team which works together which collaborates um, which says yes we've got it wrong what can we do or there's a problem here or whatever then 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 there's usually a way to solve it Um, and, and 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 to get most importantly for me You know, when people walk away from this project and and they finished it, to feel proud of what they've done, that they've they've created a a unique new part of London which is going to be here, you know, for all intents and purposes, forever.
1: Are you going to be here for all intents and purposes forever? (laughs) Or is there a point where your work here is done?
0: Well, um... I'm going to be here for a bit longer. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I, I carry on my work. We have other projects which uh, need to be built on site. For example, um, in fact, looking ahead of us, you can see the combined heat and power plant, the CHP plant, which is that rusty-coloured building with the red stairs and the chimney. That's that's the that's the uh, piece of kit, if you like, which delivers all of the energy for the park. That looks um,
1: deceptively old-school.
0: It, it, it's, it's, it's a fantastically... Um, modern piece of sustainable power generation but beyond that and and along the along the lee navigation the canal that you can see there where we we are creating a a new parkland which will really help knit uh, hackney wick and hackney into the park so one of the things which we really want to do is is to is to bring this totally new and for many people unexplored part of london and to really link it closely to these historic and important lived in parts of london so so people can feel you know this 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 is this, this is not an imposition it's a great new opportunity
1: uh, you know what we haven't touched on so far is uh, housing and uh, i know that there is much talk of housing where is this housing so um, where, or sh- or should i should ask where where is this housing going to be <laughs> well some of it in a sense is already here
0: if you look off into the distance so you can see the velodrome and slightly to the right of the velodrome you can see what during games was the athletes' village. The Athletes Village is now being turned into into residential apartments, uh, 50% of which will be affordable and 50% which will be privately let. So a, a good mix there. To the left of that, you can see a sort of construction site, really, between that and the velodrome. That's Chobham Manor, which is the first bit of housing which will be built on, on the park. It's uh, primarily family housing. It's already on site. Um, I believe um, the first people will be moving in Perhaps even sometime next year. So that's that's a real sign of, you know, we haven't we haven't stopped after games. We're we're, we're motoring, if you like. And when we talk about housing,
1: we're talking about
0: blocks we're talking a mixture of housing we're talking about houses with gardens and we're talking about apartments as well
1: now how uh, it, it's sorry to jump in it, it seems as though there's not much evidence uh, so far of, of houses houses is that uh, are they going to be later additions no there will be houses houses
0: over there so um, the north of the park really is seen as a as, as, the, as a great place to put housing around it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful parked on landscape setting great place for people to come um, in fact uh, difficult to see perhaps from from where we are here on the orbit but um, between what was the athletes village um, and the velodrome just slightly to the left there's a small dark coloured building which is the North Park cafeteria and restaurant Um, it's it's called the Timber Lodge and also associated with that is the most uh, fantastic natural play area uh, where children can climb uh, and can swing uh, and can do water play. Um, and so you can imagine that uh, when that housing is built and occupied, it would be a great place for families to come out to.
1: I wanted to say something about Hackney Wick, actually. There's a rumour going around that Hackney Wick Station is to be moved. Do you know anything about this? Well, I know that, um, I know that we're doing
0: work on Hackney Wick Station, but... I I must confess my ignorance in that because I really genuinely don't have much to do with it um, or anything at all um, my mind has been rather
1: focused on the park <laughs> yes, you've got one or two things to <laughs> think about things here things to do, yes <laughs> I wonder if uh, we can move away completely from the park which is a strange thing to say as we look down upon yes, it yes. because you, you I think may have knowledge of London's other parks and I wondered if we could just visit uh, a few of those uh, through your knowledge
0: well in a way I mean you know London London as I think I mentioned earlier is is famous for its parks it's got these fantastic historic London parks Richmond Park Hyde Park uh, of course Kew Gardens which isn't really a park but a Botanic Gardens has an incredibly rich history of green space and, and, and parklands and of course many of those parklands were built uh, an, as a response to social issues and pressures um, in, in many ways the original Victorian parks were seen as important for public health they were places to let the air breathe when people thought that uh, you know some of the, the various illnesses and sicknesses are a result of smog and smoke and uh, things which we perhaps uh, suffer from less nowadays so, so so London has this really rich history of, of, of great open spaces and green green spaces Um, The interesting thing is that uh, a few years ago, an exercise was done in London which looked at what we call green grids. What are all, if you take all the bits of greenery in London, the green spaces, the parks, the squares, the uh, pocket parks and gardens and things, and start to think about how can you link those together? How can you create a network of green space? Great places for people to walk between and cycle between, etc. So, for example, this particular park, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, um, sits within that sort of map and network and lots of the work that we're doing creating new links out to the hinterland and adjacent communities are about making that green grid happen making green connections for cyclists and people work throughout London so ultimately you have this sort of urban network of green spaces
1: so the uh, c- creation of those parks that you're talking about, we know there was a big uh, philanthropic vibe going on in the Victorian era. Are the uh, creation of spaces like this and the maybe even the cleaning up of the river, setting up of cycle routes and so forth, are they coming, do you feel, from the same sort of impulse or are they being arrived at through s- a subtly different uh, s- a set of impulses?
0: I think in many ways it's the same. Interestingly enough, I think it's the same, same sort of impulse perhaps with a slightly different end in mind but that's only because we know now more about the benefits of green space so for example we know that as i've mentioned before it's good for health and good for people's uh, psychological well-being but we also know that uh, good quality green space attracts employers and businesses because you know you've only got to go to canary wharf not far from us here and see what the public spaces there are like on a summer's day when it's thronged with people having their lunch etc so we know that's important as a as a creator of business and employment we also know that um for developers it again it's an important destination if you like so it encourages people to come to this part of london which perhaps a few years ago would not really have been known or written off you know as a a not a destination so it creates a destination it encourages business opportunities uh it, it, it it does all these different things and of course for the people who live around here it's a it's a fantastic place to be able to come on a, on a on a sunny summer's afternoon
1: we're close to the end of our time here and i've really enjoyed what you've had to say and doing so in such wonderful surroundings as well the surroundings being the right word particularly on this occasion um we are as we speak a little under a month away until the opening how are things looking from your perspective
0: i think they're looking good uh, it's you know, it's, it's always at this point in a project, and I remember exactly the same thing before the Olympic Games, when people come around and they say, you're never going to finish, are you? Or, "Well, oh, this looks a little bit tricky to me. So, yeah, there's a bit of a battle, but um, perfectly confident we'll get there. We've got, a, as I say, we've got a great team of people working on it. You know, the, the great thing is they're really proud of what they do and they think it's really important to present this fantastic new place to London uh, in April.
1: Well, it is very exciting, and uh, all the best of luck as that date draws closer. For now, from the top of the Arsalom. are we calling it the Arsalom Mittel or the Orbit Tower? What do you prefer?
0: I, 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 because I, because I can't pronounce the Arslan Mittel very easily. I just stick to the orbit.
1: It's, it's a t- there's something awful about that name, as well. Yes, yeah, so from from uh, atop the orbit, they'll ask you. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. My heart aches and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Dr. Phil Askew. Thanks to, to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea by Nan Quentin Wolfe. Please wait, don't try to wait. Try to...